You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So last week on the Paracast, Chris, did we put to rest the possibility that the world's going to end in December because of one specific Mayan calendar? Well, put that way, yeah, I think we did. But, of course, the door is still open for all sorts of things that could happen between now and then. I personally think it's, it's uh, oh, God, I'm going to use that term. I think it's a tricksterish event in culture, and I think everybody's going to breathe, breathe a sigh of relief, and then something major is going to happen a few months later in 2013. That's is my it, guess. Is that like the horror movie? It ends when they kill the creature. <laughs> right. And everyone goes back to their normal lives and then one minute later, the creature is back. They have <laughs> the to have one uh... final kill the creature scene. <laughs> Where the it's son of the creature comes back. <laughs> I think of the movie Poltergeist, where yeah. everything was resolved, except when it wasn't. Right. Yeah, it's a cliffhanger. Well, let's hope that we don't have the proper cliffhanging there. Of course, the country may go off a cliff between now and then because we have the election of which the less said the better. I think yes. in terms of elections that I've lived through, this is the craziest campaign yet. Yep. And I got a letter from somebody who said, why are you talking about politics on the Paracast? And I said, hey, we talk about government disinformation with regard to UFOs. We talk about the government engaging in mind control tests and things like that. How do you keep politics out of it? It's pretty tough. I think it's all, it's all you know, connected on some level. Well, it started the politics when Major Kehoe demanded congressional investigations for UFOs back, what, in the 1950s. Right. And we talk about MJ-12, and we talk about the military controlled by the politics. We talk about the military-industrial complex. <sighs> I guess we don't always have to talk about, well who the president is. No, yes, we have to talk who the president is because if there's a president, say Romney, will he be more amenable to talking about UFOs? Maybe if you broach the question that Moroni was uh, uh, maybe an alien or an ET, that might provoke a response. But <laughs> of course, for all you folks that don't know who Moroni was, that was the, the shining being that came down and gave uh, Joseph Smith the tablets in the 1840s in upstate New York, which spawned the Mormon religion which I've always considered to be a tricksterish kind of UFO alien contact event, if it really happened. So good question. Uh, we'll see. Someone should pop it. Well, we have a lot of questions to pop about today's episode, but we'll get into that in a moment. At the end of last week's episode, in our discussion of Mayan mysteries, you mentioned that you and Cliff Mahuti were going to be hosting a special safari to Mayan country? Yeah, we are indeed. Um, the World Explorers Club, uh, along in conjunction with Adventures Unlimited Press, is sponsoring a – putting on a tour down to Palenque uh, bef just before Thanksgiving, which is right in the time period that uh, Terrence McKenna originally figured out through his Time Wave Zero um, kind of ebbing and flowing of novelty in culture. He came up at the end of a major cycle uh, during that particular time period. And then later said, well, isn't it interesting? It, it's, you know, just over a month away from the end of, the, of this particular uh, cycle of the Bakhtun. So uh, prices are a lot more affordable there, you know, for the actual 2012 events that um, my brother and, and Johnny have three tours that are going off simultaneously 
the 17th through the 23rd of December. And uh, David uh, Childress came up with the idea, well, let's go down there early for people that don't want to be down for all the craziness at the end of the year there and, and do, you know, do a tour when we can keep the price down. So Clifford and I will be presenting uh, in November down in Palenque. And then we do have the three tours going off uh, around that 2012 uh, time period. So you're going to be doing shows from down there? Yeah, why not? That'll be great. It'll be our first uh, foreign uh, remote <laughs> taping. <laughs> well, we've had guests as far away as Australia, but yeah, we never. But not you and I. <laughs> no, and it's going to be you. It's not going to be I. Well, maybe. You know, if someone wants to finance my trip, maybe I'll consider it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Be fun to see in the jungle with the monkeys, there, Gene. Well, they have to tell us apart. <laughs> They'll just say, "Who is that alien being who has made his appearance there?" The Mayans will be freaking. Yeah, because you're Forget twice about as tall the as wild them. animals. Think about the Mayans. Yeah, they'd be a hard time to, to see you because they're about half your height. Are they? Yep. So it's like me looking down at little gray aliens. <laughs> you know, Something right like now we're going to have pickets around our studio from those who have Mayan blood. He attacked us. He called us like gray aliens. No, I'm talking about the height okay not about we'll the let look. you slide sure yes you will of course you will but it sounds fascinating tell our listeners once again where they can get more information about this special tour featuring chris o'brien featuring our favorite zuni elder cliff mahuti well you can go to uh adventures unlimited press.com or uh the world explorers club.com uh, and uh, there's also a full-page ad in the brand-new World Explorers Club magazine. Or uh, you can uh, catch up with me for more details and uh, contact me at my website, OurStrangePlanet.com. And Our Strange Planet, by the way, is being updated as we speak. <laughs> Finally, we had to find the right people to do it. And it's be a great design, a lot easier to read. You know, I'm not a big fan of this so-called paranormal scheme for websites which is white lettering on a black background you know if you have to have a paranormal site it's got to be white lettering on a black background that's okay for labels you know but reading thousands of words of text white on black is a chore it doesn't work well we're going to correct all that right going to fix it make it whole again Speaking of fixing things, we're going to fix a lot of interesting information from our guests today. And you've assembled a winner here. This is going to be one of the best episodes ever. Tell our listeners a little bit about it. Well, uh, Chris Lambright is someone that's been an unsung hero working behind the scenes for decades uh, in, in ufology. He's down in Texas. He was one of the early investigators of the Cash Landrum case. Um, he's worked with uh, other kind of low-key investigators, including Tommy Bland. And uh, Chris has written a book called Ex Descending that's just amazing. It, uh, the first half of the book is, is about the story uh, of Ray Stanford analyzing one of his films, giving a presentation to an aerospace scientist, and then the, his, the results of his analytical process uh, ended up in the aerospace industry, and uh, we're going to go in-depth in this particular regard. Chris is an incredible researcher. I was just amazed at the amount of research that he was able to dig up about this uh, pretty controversial scenario. 
And uh, the second half of his book is a real interesting look at the Paul Benowitz case, including really high-res color photographs that Benowitz took that I was unaware existed. And, um, and, and he really, again, does a, a superb job researching these stories. And, and this is really going to be a, a really nice show, I think. Now, not to start a hornet's nest here, you were telling me that his take of this is somewhat different than the take that was made by Greg Bishop when he wrote his book. Well, I think I think the fundamentals of the story are, are the same. I think there are nuances um, that there may be some differences there. And, and of course, we will, at, at some point during the show, we will talk about that a little bit. The Benowitz case is very controversial. It's very difficult to, uh, obviously, in a, a, a disinformation uh, project like evidently went on with the man by the government. Um, it's difficult sometimes to really ascertain you know, the hard-boiled truth about any series of events like this. But I think Chris has done, you know, in combining uh, his uh, research with Greg's research, I think we're coming up with a much uh, better, uh, fully rounded picture of that whole scenario. And it's pretty, uh, it's pretty sobering material. And, uh, and I can't wait to, to quiz him on some of the details. Okay, our guests are Chris Lambright, Ray Stanford, all this and more, and by the way, the book is called X Descending. Coming up next on The Paracast. This, folks, is a revelation. No more wall warts for charging your USB devices, including your iPads, iPhones, iPods, Android cell phones, USB chargeable cameras, and more. Power to you replaces the standard AC outlet and gives you two high-power USB ports and two AC outlets. To get one, go to MaxSales.com slash power to you. That's MaxSales.com, power number two, letter U. Check it out. You know, we develop trust in the people we know, but we don't really know someone we can see. That's why I recommend GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It's a simple online meeting service. It's GoToMeeting by Citrix. All it takes is a webcam and a click to instantly collaborate. You can start hosting your own face-to-face -face online meetings today with GoToMeeting. You can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. If you're taking one, two, five, or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com. And now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient-dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Learn more and order your Bio Superfood formulas at BioAge.com. Spelled B-I-O-A-G-E.com. BioAge.com. Or call 877-288-9116. That's 877-288-9116. BioAge, the age of advanced organics. 
Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. What is the most abundant resource on Earth? Water. It's essential for sustaining life, but it's not always the most available. When disaster strikes, water quickly vanishes from store shelves, like it did during 9-11, Katrina, Japan, and in Joplin. Three days without water and your body begins to shut down. Don't risk being without an abundant supply of water when the next disaster hits. Get a FlowJack hand well pump. The affordable FlowJack drops right into almost any well and is easy to install without having to remove the existing pump, giving you immediate access to plenty of cool, clean water. You could risk your family's health on a limited supply of stored water, or you could be prepared with the reliable, affordable FlowJack backup hand pump kit for only $3.99 complete. See how it works at FlowJack.com, spelled F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Be sure to spell F-L-O-J-A-K.com or call 855-4-FLOJACK, 855-4-FLOJACK. That's 855-435-6525. Proudly made in America. FlowJack hand well pumps. Peace of mind in a box. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. With Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, and a second Chris, Chris Lambright. We're in that dilemma again with the multiple Chris's. That's how it goes. We've got to change all their names. Anyone named Chris, from now on, you go on the show, you're either KK or RR or who knows. And we have Ray Stanford, of which there is only one. Hi, Ray. Hi. Let's start in our focus here in discussing this book called X Descending. The first focus is a UFO movie, a multi-witness UFO movie that was filmed by you, Ray Stanford. So tell our listeners what that's about, and let's see how it dovetails with the topic of this book. Ray? Okay. This movie was taken a beautiful mid-after sunny uh, October 5th, 1985 afternoon on the Bayfront in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, and right on the Gulf Coast, really. My two eldest children and I were, were down there and uh, seeing the sights on the bay, and we had uh, walked out on a pier called the Emerald Cove Breakwater Pier, and there were other people out there, and at the park adjacent, there were probably about 400 people, but there were, uh, let's see, six of us on the pier, uh, two adults and their 21-year-old daughter, adult two, really, and uh, my two kids and I, and uh, my kids, uh, I had an agreement with them if they ever spotted what turned out to be a bona fide anomalous aerial object, that uh, whoever spotted it, if I got a film of it, they'd get paid $10, 
unfortunately, we were walking out on the pier, and uh, I was watching my step because they, their steps because they had, there was algae on the pier, and I was afraid they were going to slip off on the rocks. But they were watching this guy, and uh, both of them at the same moment pointed up and said, Daddy, what's that? I looked up, and here is a disc flying over from the north, uh, from the east-northeast to the direction of Ingleside, Texas. I grabbed my camera, which I habitually carried with me, uh, which was on 10-power telephoto, and started filming. And um, uh, I hadn't been filming very long when the kids said, Daddy, there's another one coming in the same way. And sure enough, there was. Turns out there was a procession of, uh, at least by the time we got observing it, of, uh, of eight total objects, seven of which were identical, uh, which is the type that uh, Chris Lambert deals with in uh, his book, uh, Extrasending. And then there was a third one that was even more bizarre and different. But um, there was uh, some things that really surprised me that uh, I had never uh, thought of in terms of, of uh, disc-type uh, objects. Uh, it turns out that these, uh, these seven objects, which appear to be essentially uh, or exactly perhaps identical, were um, flying along there uh, with the dome in the opposite direction from the direction of travel and the flat, what we might consider the bottom, actually in the direction of travel. And uh, there was a structure constructed on that uh, relatively flat-looking bottom of the, the disc, or it may have been an, a six- or eight-sided figure. Sometimes when it fired the, the blue-green flames around the edge, it looked round, and other times it looked more uh, polygonal. But anyway, there was a structure there that reminded me of a, of a tower with some little uh, triangular-looking devices on it, but uh, it would build up with the plasma, apparently a light anyway. It, I presume it was a, a plasma, highly electrified atmosphere anyway, and uh, this would project out ahead of it in pulses uh, for, oh, up to maybe 30 diameters in, in front of them. And this is something, of course, that I had never had never encountered in the literature and I had never seen myself. And it was, it was very, very, uh, I, I knew that I was getting something really, really important and, and strange. And there was uh, another uh, aspect. There was a different kind of a beam. That, uh, well, let me explain. These objects, each one of them came over from the direction of Ingleside, the east-northeast, and it would come to almost overhead where we were there on the Corpus Christi Bayfront by what's called the E.B. Cole Park. And then they would, each one would turn and go up almost, they were coming horizontally, but then they would turn and go almost up, straight up vertically, not completely vertically, but almost, and would disappear with distance, thus going overhead straight into the distance. And, but there was uh, another phenomenon, uh, a different type of beam that was projected. Uh, do we vote that I tell about that, or shall we just leave it to the one that Chris talks about in his book? Wow, I would like to hear about both. Okay, let me tell you about both. Uh, one of the objects, I think it was the last one that I, I had only film enough to get four of these, but uh, one of the objects stopped when it got into that overhead position where they would normally go up vertically. That one of the objects stopped and waited for another one to come up to it from the same direction, and they got side by side and then went up. But anyway, one of the objects, when it stopped, stayed there longer, and, and usually they didn't stop. They would just make the turn and keep going up. But this one that stopped projected out relative to where I'm looking up at it, uh, the right side of it projected out one of these classical so-called solid light beams or slow projecting beams that remind, reminds me of pulling an old-fashioned telescope uh, out, and this, this beam came slowly out, and it started rotating down pretty much toward us, and then around past our direction, and eventually drew in to the side of the object. I got I have a complete film of this in broad daylight, and uh, as it happens, um, there was something coming down this beam. It turns out the beam 
was releasing smaller objects. And they would come down the beam, which was kind of an electric blue color. Inside the beam, the objects looked kind of, uh, kind of a magenta type color. They, they changed somewhat when they got out of the, the beam. And uh, as one can see in the, the print from the film, uh, they generated a, um, a kind of a rhombic, a, not someone might call it a diamond shape, but a, a four-sided rhombic uh, shape around them before they, they flew off. It wasn't until much later that I learned of a case in Germany where a, a mothership projected one of these slow beams and objects went to and from the beam. And this made me think, not at the time, I was too excited to think about much what was happening, but later I decided that probably the beam was a protection from the primary field of the object that they were leaving to get them a certain radius from it before they took off under their own power. Okay, I understand so anyway, this is speculation that's going to be difficult to substantiate. The movie itself, what does it show? It shows that, all of that happening. And so it's not speculation, uh, just about what it was doing, uh, the interpretation of the speculation, of course. But uh, then the, the beam ahead was, we, we can pretty well deduce what that's doing because we've got beautiful frames from the film, and it is also electric blue. However, as I said, it's much longer and narrower than this slow-projecting beam, and... Um, it was, uh, well, it, it looked kind of like a, make an electric rope. It looked like it had spirals within it, or like it was twisted or spiraling, although it was very narrow and would go far out. And there was uh, a succession of, of pulses of this beam. It wasn't as if a beam stayed continuous. There would be an effect to go all the way out, and then another one began back at the, the tip of the tower after it started glowing brighter. And would go on out. So when you take the individual movie frames and look at them, uh, you see that there are what I call pulse regimes in which there's the newest pulse near it at, in, in a given frame, but you see successive places where the beam has progressed outward. And as this beam goes out, you see coming off of it, the kind of thing you would see if you took a magnetic uh, well, uh, just a magnet and put a paper over it and put some shavings, you see that kind of curvature like at the top of a magnetic field at each one of these pulse regimes along the beam and then, of course, at the end of it as well. So it was, it was quite remarkable and quite surprising because they just hadn't conceived of objects flying with their flattest side forward. So apparently these must be non-aerodynamic, maybe magnetoplasmodynamic devices of some sort. We have Ray Stanford. We have Chris Lambright. We have another Chris O'Brien with Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate 
awaits. If you are a sales professional and you love to help people and make money, stop everything and listen to me now. InspectorAudit.com is hiring brokers nationwide. InspectorAudit.com is the primary source for exposing all loan-related bank and servicing fraud. If you're passionate, driven to succeed, and you want to earn real money, then we want you. Call InspectorAudit.com right now at 855-552-9932. InspectorAudit.com, 855-552-9932. Commissions paid daily. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Crank up your savings at the Webb's headquarters for hand crank and solar power preparedness. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Save now on solar generators from $289. Solar lanterns, just $24.95. Solar waterproof flashlights, only $12.95. Cook anywhere solar ovens from $279.95. Portable solar panels from 21stCenturyGoods.com give you the freedom to harness the power of the sun to charge your gear wherever you go. Show your patriotism with our line of solar flagpole lights. Plus, find a full line of emergency and shortwave radios, solar lanterns, and LED flashlights. And see our monthly two-for-one specials at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number two, the number one, S-T-CenturyGoods.com. Or call 866-999-8422. Spend $100 or more and get a free hand crank solar flashlight when you mention you heard us on GCN at checkout. Crank up your savings only at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spring is here. Growing season. The economy is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. Think about it. At this rate, how will your life be in a month or even a year? Maybe you've been putting things off, but the time to act is now. The country is running out of food. You need to get your seeds before it's too late. At OrganicaSeed.com, you'll find one of the largest online selections of heirloom seeds, survival seed packs, as well as the giant vegetable seed collections that can feed you and your family for years. Grow your very own fresh vegetables, wheatgrass, fruits, herbs, rice, tea, coffee, and tobacco. With detailed growing guides available to you at no charge, you can maximize your harvest and investment. And the best part? All orders ship within 24 hours. So head over to OrganicaSeed.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-C-A Seed.com. OrganicaSeed.com. Today. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Okay, we're covering here this film that Ray Stanford acquired of UFO, with Ray Stanford, of course, and also Chris Lambright. The book is called X Descending, covering in part this film and also covering the controversial Paul Benowitz case and all the strange things that happened there. Got a lot to go. Ray, this film, is it available online somewhere for our listeners to take a look? No, it is not, and uh, it, it probably will not be for a long time. Those who are serious researchers, as I've said before, that want to see this thing, 
if they can show me they're legitimate, honest, and are trying to make genuine contributions to our knowledge of phenomenal object science, I will be happy to show them this in the presentation concerning the physical properties of anomalous serial objects that, uh, that of course, uh, both Chris's here have, have seen and that many others have seen as well. That's the way they're going to have to see it, though, for now. So they have to see in person if they are able to attend one of these sessions? Well, yeah, that's right. Okay. Is there any reason why it's not online? Well, in the first place, I consider the details of this. I, I've still debated this for years, as, as Chris Lambright knows. I consider this possible that some of the details of this may be pertinent to national defense. There are details in the pattern, the emission pattern around these beams that should further tell a an advanced aerospace engineer or a, a physicist dealing in this what is happening in a way that is probably beyond still anything that has been uh, uh, replicated based on this, as Chris reports in his book. And uh, I don't like to just throw these things out. Furthermore, I don't like to throw them out and let all these jokers that I see every day on, on um, the Internet via YouTube that are, are faking, you know, Photoshop things. I don't want to tell them what to fake. And uh, if necessary, I'll keep it secret forever and only share it with scientists who might be able to apply it further than let those jokers uh, get a concept of what these things really look like. For the benefit of our listeners here, the book X Descending, does it show anything from this film? Oh, you're asking Chris Lambright? I'm asking either of you. Oh, you're asking me? Okay, yeah, I've seen the book. No, it does not show anything from the film. Chris is, however, an excellent, excellent computer artist, and he has done some excellent simulations based on what I've showed him uh, of the, you know, from the movie. I mean, he's he done a good job. It's, it's not as pretty and, and detailed as the movie, but uh, he's basically focusing on the main plasma aspects of it. I mean, there there's some pretty remarkable details when you look at the actual movie. And uh, uh, I didn't mention that uh, this disc that's up in the sky that's projecting this beam out of the, the flat side, what we would think of as the bottom if it had the bottom down, uh, that, that flat side actually has a pink uh, six or eight, I believe it's six-sided figure glowing there with this dark the tower sticking out of it, but around the edge of the object, beyond where the edges of the pink hexagon meet the edge of the, the disk or quasi-disk, are emissions at six points that are blue-green, and they go out and, and kind of curve around as though we had the electromotive force, which would make the electrons or the plasma move straight out, interacting with the magnetic force, which is called the Lorentz force, and thus producing a curve you actually see this kind of like what some people call a Catherine wheel, an actual uh, curved blue-green, uh, I don't like the word flame because it's not really a flame, but it is a plasma apparently. And it's blue-green, it contrasts with a beautiful pink. And then at the places in the film where the, the craft is, is oriented in a different direction where you're not seeing what we would think of as the bottom with the tower on it, which is not really the bottom misnomer. Uh, if you look at the dome side of it, most of the time that I recall off the top of my head and from the film is that you saw plasma colors, the, the kind of turquoise and pinks uh, mixed with some kind of electric blue-whites. Uh, All well and good, Ray. We're getting into a lot of extraneous information here that we want to get focused on the practical aspects of what was discovered here. Now, you understand that those who are skeptical of this are going to say, what's he talking about? He's not going to show the film. How should we believe it? So what do you tell people like that? Well, I, t I tell them that I don't really care whether they believe it or not. I know it's real. There were six of us right there on the pier. And uh, I, uh, in fact, when I ran out of film, I handed it to the 
uh, lady that was there beside me and her 21-year-old daughter, I said, take a look yourself at 10 Power. Uh, I mean, I really don't care if anybody believes it or not. It's reality. It has led, as, as Chris proves in his book, to a major aerospace technical breakthrough uh, for propulsion is concerned, and I think that's enough evidence. People don't want to believe it. It's not religion, so I don't, I'm not in the business of proselytizing people. <laughs> Good point, Ray. And I, I must uh, add to, uh, to the conversation here, um, I do cover this extensively in my many interviews that I've done with Ray, and, and one interview does go into quite a bit of detail about this event, and also the amazing amount of legwork that uh, Ray then perform to get corroboration uh, about, you know, from other witnesses and also uh, checking around the area with uh, with aviation uh, you know, sources uh, within the aviation hey, can and military. Can I mention something, Chris, there? You, you brought so, something to mind that's, that's important. One thing is, I called, uh, after I got the film back and saw how good it was, I called the newspaper in Corpus Christi. And... Uh, I said, look, uh, I would like, I've got this movie, and I explained what I had seen, and I said, I'd like to try to find witnesses with the help of the paper. And he said, uh, he said, well, no, you're telling me the truth. I said, why do you know that? And he said, because we had a call from a boy, 11 years old, that afternoon, right in the time period that you were watching these objects. We had a call after, but he had seen this during that time period, and he had photographs he had took. And I said, well, I'd like to see him. And he said, well, you know, we had him come down. He just had a little camera, and he came down and processed it. And I said, here's this bright point in the sky. Of course, he didn't have a 10-power lens like I was using and an expensive Canon one. He had just a little cheap camera. And see, so I told him, young man, you know, I appreciate your, your bringing this down, but it's nothing but a satellite. Sure, uh, you know, at 3 or whenever it was in the afternoon, in broad daylight, a satellite. And... Uh, and so, you know, he said, I just told him it was a satellite. And I said, well, are you going to run a thing, help me find witnesses? And I said, I'd like to interview this boy, but I'd also like to interview other people, like at Cole Park, who probably got super much better film. And he said, no, he said, not unless you let me print photographs from your film, from your film frames. And I said, forget it. If you feed potential witnesses a description, it's worthless in the court in, in the court of law, but it would also be even more worthless in the court of science. I said, I don't tell them you know, what to fake on the film if they want to create a hoax. I don't tell them what to describe to me. We keep that secret and let them come forward. What we tell them is the time and the date and the location and to see what they can then tell us. He said, well, I'm not going to work that way. I said, okay, it shows that maybe you're a newspaper man, but you're certainly not a scientist. That's one of the things I, I thought I ought to, to bring up. The other one is uh, that Chris reminded me of was I called the uh, FAA uh, headquarters uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas. I wanted to try to see about getting uh, radar tracking of these objects. Something quite remarkable happened, and I can prove it's not fiction because I have a tape recording of this conversation in which I uh, – I told the guy what I wanted, and he, he said, well, and I told him I'm with Project Starlight International, which everybody knew back in those days in Texas. And uh, But I think he assumed it was some kind of a government operation because of what he just said. He said, he said, well, now, do you want the, just the regular radar paints, or do you want, now get this, this is an exact quote, the plasma penetration images. This suggests a radar that the right wavelength that can penetrate the plasma that is around these objects for propulsion and actually somehow probably by some scanning mechanism give uh, an image of the actual surface, the shape of the object, for example. And uh, at that point, I had to come clean and tell them, look, I'm not with the government. I, I'm, 
I have to tell you, I'm not with the government, and I can't request that kind of information. But I do have a tape recording of him offering it. So I thought, I thought maybe I should mention that. He didn't tell me whether they had record of that or not. Boy, we didn't, we didn't get that far. I, I was pretty much, uh, my mind was blown, and I don't, I don't remember what where the conversation went after that, though. Be nice, I guess, also if we were able to hear some of these taped conversations in the future. It's something that would really be fascinating to do a show. No, they upon. will be. They, they okay. are going to be released. Okay. Enhanced and released. Okay. So basically, get rid of all the hiss and scratching and all the yep. aberrant analog noise from that sort of thing. In our next segment, we'll be talking more to Chris Lambright. Give him a chance to explain how he took that film, worked with it, and what came next. The book is called X Descending with Chris Lambright. We're also talking to Ray Stanford with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved, guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you, too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Folks, Iran and the Mideast nuclear mess is already ballooning our gas prices. Whether you're struggling with food costs, which are being blown up by gas costs now, or know that when the Mideast showdown explodes, whatever food supply you have is all you'll get because of huge panic demand. eFoods Direct Family Packs are the answer. Now the most affordable best food is saving you up to 50% compared to other poor quality food companies. The new Alex Jones Quick Fix Family Pack save you so much money, the savings from eating this food will actually help you pay your other bills. 
No matter what effect the Mideast crisis or the crashing economy have, you'll have food as delicious tonight as 25 years from now. Order now for 50% savings and free shipping on these affordable family packs. Call 800-409-5633 or efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Call 800-409-5633 or efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. One of those Chris and Chris episodes. Chris O'Brien, Chris Lambright, Ray Stanford joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Chris Lambright, welcome to the show. Perhaps you can start by telling me how you first saw this film, how you reacted to it, and what you did next. Hi, sure. Hi, Gene. I actually met Ray through our mutual interest in the Socorro case, which um, I had planned at one point to do a whole set of, of illustrations, oil paintings back in the day. This was before Photoshop. And um, had even talked to Dr. Heineck about it, and I began to put together all the information that I could and visually realized that getting that kind of visual detail on cases is virtually impossible. But, but along the way, I did find Ray's book, Socorro Saucer in the Pentagon Pantry, and uh, and I described some of this in, in uh, the book, but uh, eventually met him down in uh, San Antonio, I believe it was, and he invited me at some point to come visit him at his home in Austin and see some of the other uh, images that he had. And I guess it was probably February, if I'm not mistaken, of 1986, which, and I recall because it was not too long after he had taken this film that we're discussing now that I, I drove down. I was living up closer to Dallas at the time, and I drove down to Austin and looked through a lot of his albums of the images that he had taken over you know, over the years. And, and if I can clarify, just so that everyone understands, this is what Ray does. But we're not talking about somebody who just goes out and sees things every day, like some, some of the things that you hear. We're, you know, I won't say how old we each are, but, but over all of this time, this is simply, he, he has paid attention. And I think his visual acuity and awareness is obviously what gives him a, a leg up on, I guess, most of the rest of us. But I do recall when he said, let me show you something I got not too long before. And he put the slide screen on the, uh, up in his, in his home. And when he projected this, the one image that I recall visually, vividly at this point in my mind, I mean, boy, I stood up and walked up to the screen and looked right at it. And I, I again, I try to describe the feeling as kind of a BS meter that we all have when you see something and maybe even before your conscious mind can identify, your unconscious mind is seeing things and you know, tapping you in the back of your of your mind. And I realized right then that this was something altogether different. 
and you know it was my it was a gut instinct at the moment but even looking at it i think i think it would be obvious to anyone who's had some familiarity with especially uh images taken with telephoto lenses i i've had a lifelong interest in astronomy so i've got a little familiarity the way, the way images should look and you know it, pictures look when they're blown up but even after seeing this picture and being convinced that i'd seen something altogether different um, and he had other images, if I recall, some black and white prints that he'd made that showed the beam moving, because a lot of the things that you're discussing and that he's describing are very apparent. I mean, if you looked at it, you would know. I mean, it would not take anybody who knows anything about uh, aerodynamics, so to speak, to have looked at this thing and, and said, this isn't very aerodynamic to be flying in this this mode. So the beam must be doing something. So, I mean, but at the time, of course, it was speculation, and I drove home even then trying to decide what have I actually seen. And in other words, what, how do I know what our capabilities were at the time? So even then, having had an interest in it all of that time, my reason for specifically putting this film in the book stems from the fact that whatever anyone wants to say, and, and at this date, I, wanted to, I think it's important to understand that a lot of people have seen this film. If Ray has not put it on the Internet, and I'm not so sure I would have either if I had something this telling because of the way the internet is these days, but um, but people have seen these images. Let me ask you that phrase you just used, the way the internet is these days. Why would you not put a photo of this nature on YouTube, well, for example? My concern initially is without, and I've even told Ray this before because we're getting older and he's, you know, in the past has even had some health scares, that without Ray there to explain details, and I had to go back even in my own book and make sure I specified the date and location because I realized there was a little confusion initially over was this an actual film or was this... So there are certain details that Ray needs to be there to explain. Just like I kick myself that I would not gone to Paul himself and gotten the details from him, although I have handwritten material. The point is Ray and his mind, and you can hear his description, is as important to substantiating and giving details of the film as anything else. What about recording a full presentation from Ray? The presentation showing him in the film, him narrating what details we should look on. I'm all for it. And In fact, I at one point specifically told Ray that I said, Ray, and (laughs) in all honesty, just like friends or brothers, Ray and I butt heads over a lot of things ourselves, so this is not... You know, we're all not here just following along behind Ray because he knows if he sends me something, I'm going to put it in and enhance it and check it myself. But my point was that I even told Ray, I said, Ray, I am only going to work off of what I can recall, my memory. And I've seen these images two or three times. I've been to visit Ray in Washington when I saw him down here. And subsequent to that, he's sent me a lot more images to look at. But I was trying to be very careful that I only put in what I could recall because I want people to see what Ray has. And and I want him to be able to, I just, I happen to believe it. once you see it and you hear what it's about, you'll know. I mean, you will know this is not something, but. Okay, but that's academic because we're not seeing it. We're not seeing the presentation. So tell us, what did you do with this material? Where does it become significant other than just another UFO photo? Because at this point, when I realized that uh, Professor Mirabeau had been to Ray's house, which of course I came across quite by accident, I had no knowledge of this beforehand. At that point, as I told Ray, I said, all I have to do is point towards him. If someone out there has questions about the fact that Ray or I or any of us have had an interest in this subject from way back, and how can you know whether Ray's films are legitimate or what, 
all I have to do is point and say, you know, this professor has now basically made the case for us that there is a technological aspect to what is being caught on film here. And he was able to go back and his, and if you looked at the images in, that he took in his original article, and you'll notice that the name that he gave to the photograph, the little JPEG image that he used was DEASM proof. So what, what he had done was substantiated that what Ray saw was exhibiting some technological processes that were new to him. And to this day, so as far as I know, and especially back when he first did his experiments with us, nobody had, we don't have the capability to actually put that equipment into a device and fly it along. I mean, we're, we're now getting to the point where we can see what's happening and we understand it. And that's, to me, the major significance of this film, even though Ray has others that I think are far more intriguing. This film has been seen by a person with substantial credentials. Chris, let's talk about that. Uh, Lake Maribo. Um, should we have Ray uh, give us a blow-by-blow uh, account of his meeting with uh, Maribo? Or, uh, Ray, do you want to talk about that, or, or should you have Chris do it? Ray would be, oh, yeah, I can tell what I know, but Ray is the expert. <laughs> well, then let me let me first preface my response by saying that uh, this uh, Professor Maribo, uh, Dr. Maribo, uh, saw this because uh, uh, one of the students that he was working with on his Ph.D. at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute uh, had been going down to the University of Texas uh, at the time when I got this film. I knew him and knew of his interest in anomalous aerial objects, and so I invited him over because he was uh, in, uh, an aerospace uh, engineer student, uh, and it was, I think he was completing his master's degree there at UT. And... Uh, uh, he saw this, and I explained to him right away what I felt this was doing, that it is de facto, as uh, McCampbell had predicted in his book on UFOs, he's an, an engineer, uh, he said these things must have a way of communicating with the atmosphere in front of them and saying, get out of the way. Well, that's exactly what I realized this thing was doing with this beam and as the frame sequences show. So I, I showed this to uh, the student, and uh, he realized that uh, there was something very important here, and he, he felt that my interpretation was likely correct. And so then he went up to complete his his uh, degree at uh, Rensselaer Polytech, and uh, he told Professor Maribel about this. I didn't know that this was going on. I didn't know that Professor Maribel was working on uh, with the, the Air Force, uh, designing a craft that would take off from the surface of the Earth, go into orbit, and come back down without any fuel, powered by beam from the ground, and that it... Uh, would be propelled by magnetohydrodynamic uh, principles, but he was. And so I got a call. Uh, this engineer had stayed in touch with me, uh, and uh, he called me and he said, Ray, would you be willing to show this uh, to uh, Professor Lake Maribel? Here at Polytech, we're coming to Dowder Space Flight Center for an international conference on advanced propulsion, and he'd really like to see this. He's He's intrigued. And so uh, I invited them over, and they spent hours here during the conference. I think it was probably a two-day conference, but they spent a lot of time here. And I explained to him that uh, I, I showed him the beam and where you can see it. You can see how it electrifies the atmosphere and moves it right around the object and closes it neatly in a smaller effect back behind, in fact. And I, I, uh, I explained this, and... Uh, uh, I never expected, I didn't plan to to let this out. I'll Professor tell you what, before we here. discuss more of the reaction to everything you've done, Ray Stanford, Chris Lambright, the book is called X Descending. With Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien, you're in the Paracast. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, Chris Lambright, Ray Stanford. The book is Extrasending. We're talking about this film, and you're going into the reaction. But I want to focus very, very shortly here, because it's not a very long amount of time before we want to get into another subject and also answer some of the questions from our listeners. And that is specifically what is the development that we're talking about in layman's terms that has revolutionized air travel, space travel, whatever. Okay. Are you asking me or Chris? Whoever wants to take it. I did a little little work on this, so let me just... (laughs) This is the point. The concept that we're talking about here is what is referred to as the directed energy air spike. It's the use of energy alone to create this low-density corridor, this uh, pressure wave, if you want to call it, out in front of your vehicle. The, The benefit, of course, on the first hand, is that you lower drag to virtually nothing if you, you know, if you do this correctly because you're creating a basically a vacuum corridor or a bubble around yourself where the uh, where the atmosphere moves away ahead of you and because of some of the abilities to use the magnet hydrodynamic flow as well as the usage of, you can actually increase thrust somewhat because you enclose the the bubble I think within a half a diameter or something to that effect, behind your vehicle. And in Mirabeau's uh, 1994, I think it was mentioned in Aviation Weekend Space Technology, he discusses some of this, that um, you can actually cause the thing to collapse behind you and increase propulsion out of it. But the initial benefits, especially if you look at the work that's been done afterwards, with the uh, ability to project energy at a point out in front and therefore either mitigate the shock wave or in many cases, use that as a, to, to, for direction movement. By increasing pressure on one side or the other, you can actually control the direction. There's a lot of other benefits that are coming out if you look at the research that goes back and references Mirabeau and Reiser's initial paper. Mirabeau himself, and I want everyone to understand, this is a brilliant guy, and I have nothing but great things to say about the fact that he took the time to go see. He took the time to go see what Ray had, and that made a lot of difference. But he's brilliant in his own ideas for the uh, beamed energy propulsion, whether it was laser microwaves and all, of those, all that type of thing. 
and so he he knew and had a head start, of course, on the fact that he was interested in this area of uh, aerospace propulsion. But it's the directed energy air spike that you'll suddenly see if you look at the experiment that he did, and all of the subsequent illustrations of the concepts that he designed, as he came up with after, let's say, the 1993 time frame. Certainly after he saw Ray's film, suddenly changed to a lenticular, you know, elliptical dish-shaped vehicle. The only way that we can create the spike or had knowledge of how to create the spike at the time is to either get energy beamed from, say, space-based stations or elsewhere and reflect it to a point because the idea is, especially if you look at some of the uh, papers that have been written and by NASA and so on, that how to create that amount of energy and get it into a vehicle at this point and, st- and be able to fly, that's still a problem. As I say, a technology stretch way ahead, which I think says a substantial amount about the fact that Ray filmed a procession of these things back in 1985. But how do we make the correlation between that film and subsequent developments other than they being separate issues? Subsequent, what what subsequent developments? Okay, the advancements in aerospace technology and the film that Ray took. Basically, Lake Maribel was on a particular um, research track Okay, so we're assuming because this guy was brought into the loop about this particular sighting and the film, and thus what happened after that has to be tied to him? Exactly. In other words, it's too coincidental that all of a sudden he totally switched his approach to something that resembles the analytical work that Ray did on this film that that Maribel was privy to now. But is Maribel even crediting Ray Stanford about this or not? Exactly. No, no, no Ray, he, Ray is not. I, I didn't. I didn't expect him to or ask him to. Chris decided to to out him on this that he got this idea from me, but I've never had any intention of doing that. I I still have mixed feelings about it. But let me let me say something here that that otherwise we're going to miss it. Uh, there are people already that uh, having seen Chris's book have said, "Oh, how do we know these were not? Uh, you know that this is not a videotape he's presented of a black project craft or an experiment in a." on a computer or something showing a, a simulation. Well, I also have film of this beam ahead going on from, let's see, that would be December 4th, 1980, flying back from Mexico City, taken from the air, at uh, climbing through 12,000 feet in which an object approaches a mothership from the north, has the beam ahead, pulsing ahead of it the whole time, goes past the mothership between us and it, and over to a group of huge triangular objects that were on the left. So I have that beam documented way back then. And by no one stretch of the imagination was there even the possibility of any kind of even a crude method of using a beam ahead at that period. So there was there was precedent to this. It's just that the film from Corpus Christi is much better. It was uh, the beam down in Mexico. We were between two layers of clouds, and it was creating ion vapor. But this beam is beautifully clear and electrical in the, the Corpus Christi uh, films. So I wanted to bring that out. And let me mention that... Uh, in case anybody doubts this, uh, I have a book that Professor Marable gave me. It's about an inch thick, and it's uh, it's done for the uh, uh, U.S. U.S. Space Command or something like that about this uh, magnetic aerodyne that uh, he wanted to fly up there and decided to use the the beam head, as we call it, uh, as an adjunct. After he talked to me, he also asked me. He said, "You know, you have given us a, a quantum leap through the atmosphere." into space with this ray, but he said, you know, I think you might be able to help us with another problem. This thing's magnetohydnamically propelled, and we're concerned. We open these landing gear out in this flow. 
you get chaos, and it, it could result in you know the destruction of the craft, the death of those aboard, or anything like that. He said, how in the world do these, whoever made these things, land these things uh, on landing gear safely? And I said, well, it's very simple, actually. You have a magnetic torus around the object, but it has a magnetic vent at the top and the bottom. You don't use the old engineering standard of putting them out safely on the far edge for maximum stability, you can't do it because it interflows with the flow of plasma in the Taurus. You open them inside the magnetic vent where it's relatively still. Well, the, the aerospace engineer that had uh, that had uh, invited him to come down here at my, with my permission told me that when they got back up to Rensselaer at about 2.15 in the morning, Professor Maribel dashed upstairs, drew the modified landing gear plan, and transmitted it to Wright-Patterson. Subsequently, Professor Maribel, I very much appreciate, sent me this in-stick book, as I said, with the modified landing gear plan in it. Uh, I knew this uh, from theoretical basis that it had to be there, and I also had showed I showed him a drawing of a landing, a multi-witness landing with an occupant outside the craft that showed where the landing gear were, and they would have been in the magnetic vent. And I said, you got to do it their way or you're in for trouble. And he said, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah, we're going to have to move those in, in into the cone of relative stillness. And so I... So, uh, so Ray, I you're, you're okay with this. You're okay with oh, that. Oh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay, real okay. So you're with fine it. that you've helped uh, move aerospace propulsion and and the theoretical side of this whole thing in That's a design right. fashion. And, and I harbor fashion. no resentments. People say, oh, don't you, don't you think he's making a lot of patents on this? I said, look, I don't care. I didn't do this for money. I wanted to help humankind get into space. I believe that, as some of the astronauts will tell you, they had an epiphany when they were flying out there and looking at space beyond the atmosphere and looking down at the Earth. I think that the more we of this planet see infinity, the more we realize, in effect, how small we are. And we begin to take a, hopefully, a more benign uh, cosmological view of humankind and, in fact, of the universe at large. That was my intent from the time I was a kid, and I only felt I was helping to fill this in giving this to Professor Maribel. Glad I did, and I, uh, I'm not interested in making a red cent off of it. So you're a team player. You're a team player. You're not you're not into this uh, subject for fame and glory. You're into it to help further our knowledge and and right. Yeah, if I wanted fame and glo- thing- glory, I would have published this a long time ago. You know, and tried to sell books and videotapes and so on and so forth. I'm not interested really. It'd be nice though, of course, if the government was more forthcoming about space travel. The fact that our space program has languished for so many years, so you can have all the developments in the world, but if they're not going to put money into increasing the frequency of space travel, moving to more advanced technologies. You have to wonder where it all goes. We have a lot more to discuss. We have Ray Stanford. We have Chris Lambright. The book is called X Descending, and we're focusing on how aerospace technology was impacted by the film of UFOs taken by Ray Stanford. You're with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. 
You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. 
or check us out at iTunes. We continue with Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, a second Chris, Lambright. Race stand for the book is X Descending. Chris, you want to pick up on the questioning? I do have uh, one question here that, that relates to, uh, you know, the, the first part of the show that we're talking about. And someone just pointed out uh, that, you know, the term aerospace, uh, let me get it here, aerospace propulsion is a little bit, as a uh, son of a skunk, <laughs> one of our uh, forum posters puts it, the term aerospace propulsion, and more especially the word aerospace, is a very broad brush. Are we talking aircraft propulsion, spacecraft propulsion, or all of the above? Now, now I think what we've been talking about is, is analogous to the prow of a boat cutting waves to create less friction so a boat can go forward in water. If you apply that particular concept of the air spike in the atmosphere, it's almost like you're creating a prow of a boat in, 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 in the atmosphere that negates sonic booms and allows the craft to move through the atmosphere with little or no, no friction. Uh, I just wanted to kind of underscore that. So uh, how would you describe Leak Maribos gestalt and, and, and realizing all of a sudden, boom, I, I have this new way of looking at this. What, what are we talking about here? How would you encapsulate this field of study, you know, in a term? Okay, you're asking me, Ray Stanford? Yeah, sure, Ray. Okay, and Chris. Okay, yeah. All right, all right. Let me let me make something clear. I think some of the listeners may not understand. Uh, this is this is not a, a matter of of just uh, not creating a shock wave. It is a matter of saving uh, not only a lot of rotational wear and tear on on the the spacecraft, but it is more importantly, it is a matter that if you don't have this type of device, you are creating and pushing a hypersonic shock wave occurs when the atoms, the molecules of the atmosphere do not tend to move out of the way. They become compressed. And what you're doing, if you don't have this, you are pushing thousands of tons of atmosphere. That's why it was so hard for humankind to even break the sound barrier originally, because you are pushing a solid, basically almost solid wall of atmosphere, the thing that hits you as a sonic boom on the ground. You're pushing that. With this, you're not only not pushing it, the important thing is you're not creating it. You are electrifying it ahead of you, expanding it to the sides around a relatively evacuated column and moving it around you and closing it properly in a spark fashion where you don't where you create a proper condition that you know what you're creating pressure behind the craft which actually helps push it forward while having virtually no resistance in front and you're saving a vast amount of money and fuel wherever the fuel is coming from the ground or within the craft because it will go at least according to even the early phase of this research at Rensselaer 10 times more efficiently with a tenth of the energy that would be required if it were pushing the shockwave. So this is obviously what Mirabeau had in mind. This is what I am happy and proud to say that I gave him the idea for. And someone wrote the author, Chris Lambright, the other day. Someone sent an indirect communication to him. A guy saying, well, you know, how can he claim that he helped anybody make an invention? The Polaris missile had a physical spike in, in front of it at a, at a certain stage, so we already had the idea. That's a physical spike. As My comment on that was that Flash Garden, back in the 40s and 50s in the comic strips, had a physical spike out in front of his spacecraft. A, a kid would know that that's supposed to help it get through the atmosphere with more efficiency. But there's a big difference in, in saying that man knew a phys- how to create a physical spike and stick it out in front of a craft than saying he knew how to electrify the atmosphere for 30 diameters out in front of him and move it out of the way 
to where there's virtually no resistance whatsoever, and it also keeps down uh, not only cost, but ablative uh, heat off the craft. So this is what Maribel very justifiably had in mind, and the secret of which I feel for sure he learned from what I showed him, because he thanked me three times for giving him this information. Well, let's hope that something like this somehow influences the future progression of the space program beyond where we are now. Do you have any optimism at all, Ray, about a renewal of space travel, of attempts at space travel? It seems that the space program has gone the wrong direction. Well, that, you're right, and I'm glad you brought it up because there have been all this, these, in my opinion, myths about we have duplicated alien technology. I'm sorry, but, you know, just a, a few months ago, my wife and I heard one of these Black Project craft fly over here so high we couldn't spot it. But it was making so much noise that we thought it was going to break the windows out of our big old house here. And uh, they are not using ET technology. And the thing is, even about this thing that I showed Professor Maribel and have showed many others, it's still a matter of our learning how to generate it officially in front, uh, efficiently in front of the craft. We know the secret and it's been tested in, uh, in a very primitive way uh, with great efficiency in the hypersonic wind tunnel at uh, Rensselaer. But uh, it's still a matter of actually making this thing, having the energy source inside a vehicle to produce a good beam ahead. So the gift is there. It's just a matter now of making it practical. But I, regarding renewing the space program, it's obvious we don't have other types of propulsive ad adjuncts very much, or we wouldn't be using still this old reaction propulsion that we do see in Black Project craft. And I have photographed some of these things in broad daylight, some of these Black Project craft, knew what they were at the time. But uh, what I'm hoping is that hopefully in my lifetime, I don't know if I have many years left, that there will be a, a turn toward looking more and more at, for example, as Chris Lambright said, I have a lot of stuff in these films that is in many ways a lot more amazing, exciting, and potentially useful to science. That's what I want to do with this. I don't want to, you know, try to publish another UFO book necessarily. I want it to be milked scientifically, analyzed in a way that we can invigorate a space program. Otherwise, it looks like our space program is pretty well stuck in the 1950s and 60s reaction propulsion mud. Let me make a couple of observations, if I can, regarding the uh, technological aspects of this. You'll see that I mentioned a uh, patent that was filed and uh, given to Kevin Kramer, who's another engineer, and I believe he's from Arizona, and in which he describes this filamenting laser. It's an actual, actually, it almost sounds identical to kind of what we're discussing here, but the idea of being able to put energy along a narrow beam out in front and creating this uh, low-density corridor that as it collapses behind you, it adds thrust. The reason I mention that is because not only is there another person after the fact, after, from, after Mirabeau, who's patented something which they clearly knew to be new and had not been put into use or actually was not even functional just yet. And I exchanged some emails with him, and I said I was really interested in it because I think I had seen something similar to this. I was referring to Ray's film, you know, in a film that was taken several years earlier. And, of course, his comment was, boy, it's kind of depressing to think that here he filed a patent for something that now he hears was already you know, in production. But that's simply another little factor, I think, that suggests that what Ray filmed was not something that was based on technology that was already at least to the point of where we were in production and producing it and flying it around. The other point I want to make was, if you listen to what Ray described about initially taking the film, the last of these objects, the one that I've, I've discussed in my book, 
slowed down and waited for the for the final object to catch up to it before it moved. Or at least they're being polite to each other. <laughs> I'm not making the point. I understand the point. We're talking to Chris Lambright. We're talking to Ray Stanford with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to FakeTV.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional Fake TV is only $29.95, so get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to FakeTV.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. We all know the importance of having storable foods, but what about when the food runs out? What then? 
For real food independence, you need a supply of non-hybrid seeds. Introducing the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. The Survival Seed Vault is sealed for freshness and includes 20 varieties of easy-to-grow non-hybrid seeds for only $37.95. For less than $40, you've got real food independence. And the Survival Seed Vault includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions. Imagine the barter power you'll have when the food supply does collapse. Right now, save $9 instantly when you buy three or more Survival Seed Vaults from MyPatriotSupply.com. Same-day shipping on all orders, plus free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness products at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. We have Chris Lambright, we have Chris O'Brien, we have Ray Stanford and Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. The book is known as X Descending, and in part discovers and talks about the UFOs photographed by Ray Stanford, how they were used apparently in advancing aerospace technology. So just to kind of summarize before we go into some more topics... Chris Lambright, where do we take it from here? Where is space travel gone since this with the improvement of this development? Well, if nothing else, I think it's notable that to this point, either, even though there's a lot of research being done in Japan and other places and ideas for the use of this kind of uh, depositing energy in a, uh, ahead of a moving body, that we don't yet see anything like what Ray had on film. We don't see any, even, even Mirabeau's having gone back a few years ago to, uh, to do some work at the Air Force, um, I guess it was out at the White Sand, on his light craft, was still using the model that he initially had intended for shining lasers beneath it. Nobody to this date has demonstrated a, a practical use of a, an energy beam out in front to do the types of things that Ray has just, you know, had, had on film. Yeah, that we know of. Yeah, well, there you go, that we know of. Um, now, of course, Professor Mirabeau has, uh, has his Lightcraft Technologies International Corporation that he set up, and I hope he does very well with it. But my aim was is to get the information out there. I mean, I, I believe I waited a substantially long time saying nothing, and I'm, I'm with Ray, you know, I'm not totally comfortable with the idea of, of thinking that I'm outing somebody. I did a lot of soul-searching on whether I should say anything about it, but in the long run, I think Ray's film and the Benowitz film are evidence that there is something else going on here that needs to be addressed, and clearly in the case of Ray's film, there's a technology here that at least, like maybe like you were saying, we're not being told about. So where the technology originates, I hope we'll find out, but the point oh, is I think... Can I add something to Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to commend Chris because he has done a prodigious job in ferreting out the research that seems to have occurred, that did in fact occur after Maribos' visit here and relating it to what may have happened as a result of Maribos' visit. He went into detail. He, he, he worked overtime on the Internet and anywhere he could get information 
Uh, I don't think anything has been as thoroughly investigated in UFOs hardly as Chris did in trying to check into the background and to see whether this kind of device existed before I filmed these things. And I think it's to his credit that he did not take something on faith, but uh, went and, and, and really did very hard work, his homework, on this uh this particular issue, which is a big and important issue. And I want to conclude this statement by saying that uh, the principle has been shown at Rensselaer and in other places that Chris mentions in his book. Now, the principle that we could in theory do this, there's a big difference in showing on a small scale in the laboratory, in a, uh, a uh, hypersonic tunnel locally with terrestrial uh, easy-to-access power supplies that the principle works. The big difference here is getting the energy level to or inside of a craft to where this can be done at a practical level uh, in our atmosphere on, on a larger scale. Let's distinguish the two. The theory has been established now in the lab at Rensselaer and others, as Chris describes for you in the book, but the practicality of having the energy, that's the big thing, is getting the energy to uh, into either by beam or inside the craft and projecting it. That's the part that seems to have been the problem. So let's distinguish the two things. The principle is sound. It's a matter of applying it at our present level of energy sources. A question from one of our listeners, and basically I'm going to paraphrase the question. Um, this comes from Sentry, who's been uh, a poster here for just over a year. There's been a recent dis discussion on the Paracast Forum of Kelly Johnson's UFO sightings but whether or not any advances in Lockheed can be traced to them is unproven. Uh, I'll put this out to you, Ray and Chris. Uh, uh, Chris has done an incredible amount of research into this whole subject, and I really commend you. I'm, I'm really awed at the, the amount of, of time that it must have taken to, to dig in and drill down on some of these uh, you know, very <laughs> esoteric subject matter and coming up with the amount of, of documentation that you did. Really, my hat's off to you. And what do you guys think? Uh, have we seen any advances uh, spurred on by the study of UFOs? I mean, this is one example. Uh, do you think there are any others that uh, are part of the public domain already? That's a tough question because I am firmly convinced that if you really want to keep something secret, you can certainly do so. And if I was going to put some technology into something that I'm building, I would make sure that on the outside at least – it looked like something you would believe I could build. So whether the technology is inside of something that looks like a conventional aircraft design, that, that's the rub. You're not going to the know. The B-2 like having a, like the B-2 bomber having an anti-gravity uh, yes, takeoff assist. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you hear that, but you have no truck with it because what can you do? I mean, unless, uh, unless somebody gave you documentation and you knew someone to speak to, which in my opinion, that's, that's kind of the, one of the reasons that I wanted to use these two films. There are people alive today, and there are their names. Go talk to them. There are people that could be called to account not only for what happened to Bob Benowitz, but people who clearly know a lot to be said about what Ray has on film, people he's not named yet, and I, he's mentioned some things that are coming up that I've not, you know, I'd, take, you know, I'd, I'd leave to him to say. But, um, but as far as technology... Well, let me put it this way. If with my limited resources, I can at least find what I found enough to compel me to believe there is this out there. Whoever owns the technology, who knows? Um, I think there was one reference. It was either to uh, Ben Rich or maybe Kelly Johnson, you know, that some of these are our, we made, some of them they made, whoever they would be. But um, 
but the point is, if if with my limited resources, I can go this far and look at what Ray's able to do with camera and a good eye and be on top of it. Well, and a good analytical mind too, I might add. Well, uh, if you listen to him, you can tell. But um, but obviously, with the money, other people must have far more. If I was the Air Force or the government or somebody, who can say what they've got? Okay, well, well, you brought up Paul Benowitz, and and we need to dovetail into that whole part of of your book, which uh, is just like the 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 portion about Ray's work in in Lake Maribor. This is really fascinating material as well. What? Give us a little quick thumbnail sketch, uh, some background information of how you got involved in the Benowitz case and why this particular film and series of photographs uh, compelled you to really dig deep and 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 really uncover some very, very, uh, I think, very important information about the Benowitz case. Well, clearly, I've I've been interest, interested in this subject for a long, long, long time. Um, back in the early 80s, in particular, here in Texas, of course, I... Had, uh, I knew Tommy Bland very well. He, of course, he knows just about everybody, and uh, and he and I had worked very closely together because we lived close together. Um, and at one point, he mentioned having heard that some scientist out in New Mexico was either picking up some kind of unusual signals or had seen some unusual things. And and of course, I realized, and and then within the next year or so, that he was referring. He had heard through wherever his grapevine was that this was Paul Benowitz, and of course like everybody else, or like many of us, many of us didn't really even get into this, be, let alone be aware of it until probably 83, sometime, you know, after the fact, because not much had been said, if I'm not mistaken, outside of the APRO and maybe the little New Mexico, you know, wherever Paul Benowitz's local circuit was, about what was truly going on. But somewhere pretty quickly, as I began to hear more and more, and seeing some of the documents that were now getting released and hearing about who's saying this or that and Bill Moore and Richard Doty and, and what everybody was saying that Paul was saying, you know, and I began to realize, well, and it's one of my own personal mottos that if all you know is what someone else told you, you don't really know anything. I think Chris O'Brien has a good oh boy, amen. <laughs> yeah, oh, so yeah. And at that <laughs> I point, love stories because then I can drill down on them. Yeah. And so at that point I thought, if somebody's calling the Air Force and talking about aliens and who knows, the Air Force is not going to get involved. That's a public relations scam waiting to happen. But if they That's right, but we'll down. get into more of this in a moment. Chris Lambright and Ray Stanford with Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? More important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. 
If you're taking one, two, five, or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com and now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient-dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Learn more and order your Bio Superfood formulas at BioAge.com. Spelled B-I-O-A-G-E.com. BioAge.com. Or call 877-288-9116. That's 877-288-9116. BioAge, the age of advanced organics. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days, 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit cards, student loans, or a foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days, and we are the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. Crank up your savings at the Webb's headquarters for hand crank and solar power preparedness. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Save now on solar generators from $289. Solar lanterns, just $24.95. Solar waterproof flashlights, only $12.95. Cook anywhere solar ovens from $279.95. Portable solar panels from 21stCenturyGoods.com give you the freedom to harness the power of the sun to charge your gear wherever you go. Show your patriotism with our line of solar flagpole lights. Plus, find a full line of emergency and shortwave radios, solar lanterns, and LED flashlights. And see our monthly two-for-one specials at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number two, the number one, STCenturyGoods.com. Or call 866-999-8422. Spend $100 or more and get a freehand crank solar flashlight when you mention you heard us on GCN at checkout. Crank up your savings only at 21stCenturyGoods.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien, we have Ray Stanford and Chris Lambright. Now, understand that you know a lot of these things. It represents jargon to most people. It's something that a lot of people are not familiar with because what happened with Paul Benowitz happened a long time ago and other galaxies. So maybe backtrack Chris Lambright and explain who is Paul Benowitz. Is he even still alive? No, I believe he passed away uh, back in early, two, I believe 2003, perhaps, somewhere a few years, a few years ago. Right. Um, unfortunately. But if, yeah, if you want to go and explain, okay, Paul Benowitz owned a company in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was 
virtually across the street from the main, one of the main gates to Kirtland Air Force Base. And they did a lot of testing, built testing equipment, I believe, uh, humidity testing or humidity-related equipment, and had a number of contracts with more government agencies than I even realized at, at the time. And apparently was doing very well, lived in one of the nicest locales in, uh, in the Albuquerque area, and, and happened to live at a place that was a stone's throw, so to speak, from uh, the fence line of Kirtland Air Force Base, and perhaps at the closest point, maybe a quarter of a mile from the uh, northernmost foothills of the Manzano Weapons Storage Area. But uh, needless to say, he was a guy, like many of us, who I believe had already had some interest in UFO phenomenon. In my understanding, it may have, been, may have gone back quite a while. But in the later, uh, late 1970s, particularly 1979, when uh, there were a lot of reports of cattle mutilations and such going on in the northern New Mexico, Colorado area, he apparently had also gotten in, interested in that. And subsequent to some other things that went on, came to know Gabe Valdez, who many of your listeners probably know, was a state trooper over the uh, Hickory Apache Indian Reservation area. In, uh, and actually right there, kind of where Dulce, the term Dulce comes from, because it's the small town basically kind of in the foothills there. But so at some point, Paul decided in, I believe, July of 1979 that he'd go visit Gabe and Gabe would take him on a ride, you know, on his night patrols, I, I suppose, I suppose. The next day, and of course, they apparently saw some very unusual things on that ride. And what that was, I don't know. But what basically began interest primarily, I think, in that area is a small Polaroid that Paul took that he later on back in Albuquerque showed to his wife and she pointed out something, you know, and I, I reproduced a small version of that in my book. And that got his interest that hmm, must be something going on up there. And over the next six months, at least twice, I believe, once with one of his sons, he went back and spent some time up there. The only reason I'm focusing on that, even though to this day I do think he described some very unusual things he was seeing, but the point, his interest was in that area, was not in Albuquerque area at that, at that time. When he came back from, I believe, his last trip, that his wife had heard something unusual, and that kind of got him to wonder, even though, of course, we're talking about a very esoteric subject to begin with, so where your logic and reality stretches to, you know, your conclusion. So he decided maybe he should keep an eye out of the, of the area right around his home. And that's what my understanding, and this is based on material he sent me, written, some of it handwritten, a lot of it typed out, you know, legal-sized pages explaining everything that occurred. That's what got him on his roof, and the best I could determine was right around the middle of December of 1979. And at that point, as described in the book, he saw some unusual things going on at the base of the Manzano Weapons Storage Area, and apparently, as he described, got his wife up there at one point, too, to watch these things. And over a period of, I presume, several days, I don't know if they were consecutive nights, or you know, but, but I would say within, let's say, maybe a week or so, several days, he got films. I believe he had a camera with a with a telescope on it. He had a Hasselblad still camera that he'd used. He had a eight millimeter movie camera with a I believe it was a six degree lens on it. And he had this all set up on his roof. So uh, my take on it was he got the goods and he did it in the way I think I would have done it. And at that point, not not knowing what he saw, but from what he had described to me, at some point he decided, you know, he doesn't see the alarms going off. I mean, there's no. You know, the security guards come racing around the bend, and he got concerned, as, as I believe he really thought he was doing the right thing. He was being a concerned citizen, that just maybe the people at the Air Force or the Manzano security don't even know what's going on. And he picked up the phone and called the base and got in touch with Ernest Edwards. 
and told him he wanted to talk to him about these land the landings on the mountain. And that, uh, that, if nothing else, tells you these things were in the vicinity of the mountain for him to call Ernest Edwards, who was responsible for the protecting the security inside the fence line. Yeah, and Chris, uh, I think you should uh, also, you know, provide a little bit more of a detailed description of Manzano. This is one of the most secure nuclear weapon storage facilities uh, on the planet. I mean, we're not talking just, you know, artillery shells and, and uh, you know, rounds of ammunition for small caliber weapons. We're talking nuclear weapon storage facility. That's really important for people to understand. Right. Yes, yes. And and I think it's, and in fact, I had clipped articles that were put out by even the, the penal system, the, the jail system in New Mexico talking about how some of their, you know, they looked at the Manzanos as a, as a model for how secure you can actually be. Uh, this site had at least, I think, a double perimeter electrified fence. And uh, the same article described sometimes you'd find people who had come wandering across the, you know, got caught on the fence, that sort of thing. But it was extremely secure. And to, just so everyone knows, since I have put pictures in this book, back at the time that we were there, which was clearly in the 80s, there were signs on the fence that said no photographs allowed, no photography allowed. And one time when I was there, an old woman came driving slowly down the road and rolled her window down and looked at me and said, you're not supposed to be taking pictures. Okay, uh, those pictures, those signs aren't there now. If you've been in the area, and I took time a year ago and drove out there all the way, spent two days and took pictures and films. And uh, Anyway, the point is there are no longer any signs on the fence that say no photographs allowed, and I think it's simply because the housing areas are encroaching right to the fence line almost on all the west side. You've got houses now that you can walk right up to the fence. So I think it's a moot point whether there's going to be anything that's not going to be visible from this side, from, yeah, from the west side of the slopes. But in Paul Benowitz's day, not much of that was there. I mean, there was a pretty wide stretch heading down towards the Albuquerque you know, city area. And from the Albuquer in the valley, you really can't see the foothills of the Manzanos very clearly. And at any distance, if lights went along, anybody could have shrugged their shoulders and said, hmm, maybe it's helicopters. So I have a feeling that back in the day, Paul's perch on his rooftop, which is above the second floor, gave him a front row seat with his equipment to be able to see right into this area that anything that was actually sitting down low on the ground at that point probably was not even visible. From so he was putting down. himself in long and short of it in a situation where he may be seeing things he should not have been able to see. Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. I think, I think in the long run, the evidence shows whoever owned or built or whatever you want to say, whoever was flying what he filmed, that my conviction now is, oh, they were known to be there. They were allowed and were, were there for reasons of their own. It was Paul who wasn't supposed to be there. And he just stumbled into it innocently or otherwise for his own, you know, because he was interested in the subject and his wife mentioned something to him and <laughs> the drop of the, of the dominoes, he ends up on his roof at a time and I've mentioned this to other people as well. Based on looking at this, I have to conclude there's no reason to believe that he simply got there on the first night. For all we know, things may have been coming and going from this area for a time. And Paul, when he finally got up there and saw them, he stumbled into the middle of something. What was going on? You know, I've had people point out that, you know, some of the distances between the objects that Paul cited seemed to match, roughly speaking, some of the distances between the bunkers that were there. Uh, that's all speculation, of course. I understand that. But uh, So is there a possible natural explanation for all this, or do we have to think that more than that was going on? Oh, no. No, just all you have to do is look at those gorgeous color photographs in Chris's book. No yeah. way. You know, I want to make also this point. When, when I first saw or heard about these films, I was simply told, oh, they're just little lights. 
And I suppose from Paul's description that, of course, he's standing on his roof excited with his camera running that, you know, a lot of this was jostling around. But he sent me images that were actually stopped on a reel-to-reel, a small little film editor, off of that screen where he could, as I described in the book, I believe he could adjust that prism a little to actually accentuate them. And he told me the true film is much more vivid than just the pictures that he sent. But it wasn't until I actually began to take them into Photoshop and use some other software that allows you to actually really get down into the brightest area that what you see in those pictures was new to me. And I guarantee you somebody will look at those and recognize something about what's going on in them. I mean, I don't have that kind of a expertise. Well, we know, we know Ray has that observational yeah, acuity. Yeah, so. yeah thank you. Yeah. I'd like to make comments. I mean, Chris, I hope the listeners will realize that, except for maybe one of these pictures in Chris, but they haven't been published before, and they are remarkable. Not only that, but one sees these objects on the Manzano that, for example, have a line apparently around a dislike shape, it would seem, of blue lights. Now, I've become very familiar from my own observations and filmings of high-energy emitters sequencing around the edge of these objects. It looks very much the same to me. Someone might say, well, you talk about them sequencing, and it looks like they're on the whole time. Well, I'll we tell you what, we are, of course, defining what Paul Benowitz had observed and photographed. We have Chris yep. Lambright. The book is called... X descending. We have Ray Stanford with us with Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The strange odyssey or the disinformation campaign against Paul Benowitz because he saw the wrong thing at the wrong time. Years ago, we have Chris Lambright, author of X Descending, Ray Stanford, Gene Steinberg, and Chris O'Brien on the Paracast. Can I finish that statement? I, I sure. Thinking. Okay. There's a series of blue lights apparently around around object, but that doesn't mean there are... I believe that he was shooting at night, so he uses a fairly slow shutter speed in order to record the image. I believe that these are probably high-speed sequencing, and I see nothing in these photographs that would distinguish them 
from the kinds of objects are approximately the same kind of phenomena and objects that we have been filming. And I don't think anything today in known aircraft can even come close to what Paul recorded on there. And I encourage everybody to take their own look to see pictures that I believe are absolutely genuine and should be distinguished from the trash one is seeing so much of on the Internet today. Fast question before we go on with Paul Benowitz, and that is, are we seeing anything like this today? It seems to be episodes that go back 20, 30 years or so. Yes, we are. Well, we are. Ray, I'll issue Ray a challenge. Chris O'Brien probably knows something since he brought up the fact of the emitters. When I look at that image of Paul Benowitz, that Paul Benowitz took, it reminds me of a film of a shot Ray knows as the Father Kubler images, in which there are distinct emitters on this. Right? If, if Chris O'Brien knows something about that, but I'm just saying that's an image that people might be very interested in seeing as well. But as far as uh, as far as seeing something to this day, very possible. I have I have not seen anything that I would look at. Of course, not any of the images Ray has either, but especially not any of the ones that Paul Benowitz has taken, and say, well, there I can certainly follow some kind of logical path back to see this image compares to that one. But I wouldn't at all be at all surprised if there are you know there are things being seen by people here and there. That well, there there are some Chris, but there are few and far between in this age of Photoshop, yeah. After Effects, and you know animation programs. And at least now, of course, if they don't see it, they'll make you see it. And unfortunately, that that's one of Ray. I think is kind of valid point, and and he and I have discussed this. That you know how much you want to put it out there. You want people to see, it. and I I want everyone to see this. I I've told everybody. You have to go see, and you will convince yourself. You're not going to believe it because I said it. I certainly wouldn't have believed just because someone said. But the problem is the minute you put it out there, people fake things, some for their own reasons, some just for a joke. And if you tell too much of what you know, I've encouraged Ray, you know, show as much as you can and withhold these certain points because there are ways to potentially distinguish. But it's unfortunately, I have to be honest, Paul, I mentioned him one time on the phone. I said, Paul, when you called the Air Force, didn't you kind of think you were letting the cat out of the bag? And he he sighed and said, you know, you can't be too paranoid. And I was thinking to myself, how prophetic. Yeah, well, he could have been a little more so. But my point of that is, you know. At some point, you have to put it out. The experts will recognize and they will see. Some people will ridicule, but in time, you know, you put some things out there and the people who know, like Mirabeau, like some of the others who've seen what Ray has, they'll recognize what it is. So I'm hoping it will get out there, but, but at this point, I have not seen any of this, you know, flying around. I don't know whose congressional budget may be paying for that research, but... We'll, is we'll there any here. possibility here, let me ask this question, any possibility that any of the stuff that Paul Benowitz saw represented a secret government project. It doesn't matter whether it came from alien technology or whatever. He saw something the government was working on, not something that happened because of some alien influence. Well, I want also to emphasize this point. Nowhere in the book that I've written do I make the statement that any of this is, quote-unquote, alien technology. I do make the point that I think Occam's razor is not going to cut so smoothly, and so especially in the case of what Ray's got on film. Yeah, where really, it good point. From, I good don't point. Know. My point of all of this is wherever it comes from, it represents a technology we all deserve the right to benefit from. I mean, I hate to say this, but science, if I'm not mistaken, is about truth. It's not about sitting on it. And sadly to say, in a capitalist society, <laughs> or when money is tight these days, everybody needs to survive somehow. But 
I can't just say that after all of this time, that would I feel right if what was done to Paul Benowitz was done to my family, my parents? How about you? You know, would any of the senators say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay to stick it to? Let's talk about that. Why don't you give us a quick thumbnail sketch of the unfortunate circumstances around the demise of Paul Benowitz? I mean, this gets into a whole other ball of wax, which is, you know, have been, we've covered this with Greg Bishop. He wrote the, uh, you know, of course, wrote the uh, very good book, Project Beta, about the Benowitz case. And you've come up with some additional information about the actual disinformation program that, that erupted around Benowitz once he went to the Air Force and said, hey, you guys, do you know that this is going out in your backyard around one of our most secure nuclear weapon storage areas? Why don't you uh, kind of move it forward a little bit? We're running out of time. So, I want our, you know, our new um, listeners to understand well, what happened and, to Benowitz. And I do want to commend Greg Bishop. I mean, he contacted me back what, 10 years ago, how long ago it was, about uh, he had heard I had some of these images. And, I, of course, I had just begun working on this. At the time, though, of course, he was, it said he's a good friend of Bill Moore's. And, and I'll be honest, that put me on edge. That made me defensive. And I decided to wait, you know, just to not kind of not go forward with that. We'll have to but explain after- also to our listeners who haven't followed the history of Bill Moore the fact that although he was one of the pioneer researchers into Roswell, he did things that aren't very nice. Well, yeah, I, and I do want to qualify as well that everything that I've written is based on my experience, and so you could say it's my opinion, and a lot of this is like presenting a case in court. You know, you're trying to present the best way you can, but I want people to make up their own minds and make up their own decisions about what, you know, where they decide to, what they decide to believe or be convinced of. I, at the time that Bill Moore gave his uh, confession, so to speak, I was one to say, you know, just wait, 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 wait. If, if any of us had been in that position, and maybe that's the point of a convincing confession. Okay, but, you know, that's step two. We need to know step yeah, one. Okay, okay so right. Bill Moore confessed. What did he do? Well, he claimed that he had been, if I, I believe his words were recruited by Richard Doty, although if you listen to what he said, it, there was another person he's called Falcon, who supposedly was the precursor to some of this. He claimed to have been recruited to inform, I guess that's the way I would put it, on Paul Benowitz, meaning to go whatever Paul Benowitz was doing and thinking, and Bill Moore would befriend him, and Bill Moore then subsequently would pass that information on to Richard Doty. And I believe he mentioned that he kind of got the impression Doty was taking notes, and some of that information was potentially being fed back to Paul Benowitz from third parties, from other sources, which seemed to reaffirm it in Paul's mind that he was on to something because he's hearing you know, supportive evidence or hearing some uh, terms of information from other places that seem to convince Okay, well, Chris, for our, for our new time listeners, uh, Richard Doty claimed to be uh, later on, claimed to be uh, working for Air Force Intelligence. He was involved in a disinformation program and some sort of counterintelligence operation concerning uh, Benowitz's claims of, of filming and recording, audio recordings of these unusual events around Manzano. So the Air Force... Then they put a team of people on the Benowitz, and uh, they started messing with him. They they literally did. I mean, the guy went through uh, an amazing period of. I, I mean, they some of these operatives, uh, according to Greg Bishop and others, would actually go into his house when he wasn't there and rearrange the furniture just to you know mess with his mind. Yeah, I think anybody who really thinks seriously about this would realize that. Wait a minute, how important. Or what was it that Paul had that was so important that they would go to this extreme? I mean, keep in mind, if all you think is he was thinking he was getting signals from UFOs and he was talking to aliens, do you think the Air Force would involve themselves in something like that? They'd, they'd tell him to call him MUFON or call somebody else. They'd shrug and pass him off. 
they would not go to this kind of potentially years long. <laughs> yeah, they tell them to call me. <laughs> well, there you go. But I'm just saying. My, they didn't call me either. At least I don't think so. Yeah, I, there was a question I believe one of your um, listeners posted that asked about the fact that you know why you know what's the difference between any of us who are interested in this subject? Why, what's the difference between our other films and what Paul says? Why Paul? My conclusion, I guess you would say at this stage, my opinion is what Paul got, he put it in their backyard. They, and he was somebody in the community. He had contracts. He was a known issue. He was a credible person at that point. Why they didn't just go to him and say, Paul, 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 you know, keep it quiet or else. For some reason, it was more important to admit nothing and just damage this man's credibility and go to this extreme effort. And I believe it's because he caught something that if anybody looked at what he had, they would know. And then they would immediately turn their attention to the Air Force and say, what's going on here? You know what? We'll have to find out what's going on here. <laughs> we have Crystal Hembright. We're talking about the incredible case of Paul Benowitz and how the government kind of tried to mess him up. We have Ray Stanford joining us with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock. Save you money and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient 
market value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganix.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics. Life's getting better. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days. 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit cards, student loans, or a foreclosure, we can help at zero debt in 90 days, and we are the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to zerodebtguarantee.com. That's zerodebtguarantee.com. Or call now for free information, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. We're exploring that new book from Chris Lambright, which is called X Descending. We're also joined by Ray Stanford. And now we're talking about how the government, I guess, singled out, unfortunately, Paul Benowitz for their share of disinformation. Or do you think that maybe Doty and even Bill Moore were acting on their own as opposed to with government sanction? What did they do? Let's get into all the tales about what they did and all the actions they took to screw this guy up. Yeah, good question, Gene. Not just the things moving around the house that looks like maybe somebody's trying to rob you. It was more than that. Yeah, there, there was obviously a serious effort not only to, and I suspect, not only to make Paul look like he was, you know, <laughs> losing his grip to his family members, but to ensure that he was stuffed full of enough that they could also seem to substantiate through other means. Either other people would suggest things to him or, you know, for example, if he had an interest in the Dulce area. And lo and behold, a girl comes right to his door virtually. She's led right to him and under hypnosis says things that immediately ratchet his attention back up there. Things that if he tells anyone about, you're going to wonder. I did. When he began to talk about that, I'm like, okay, you know, what is oh, Wait a minute. Let's, uh, let's back up. Hypnosis, uh, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about, as Bill Moore put it, a way to diffuse Paul. I think the important aspect was when he finally called the Air Force, if you'll look, you'll notice we don't have any real clear information on what occurred in the first four months after he called and spoke with, uh, with Ernest Edwards. And I had someone who had been in naval work tell me, no, they don't just sit and wait to see what happens. Things would be taken care of, would be on the burner immediately. But you'll notice that we don't really have much happening that we know of, no documentation until the Myrna Hansen events occur. And then suddenly in July, 
you have this Wetzel letter that gets fired off to APRO. Now, we do know Paul was talking to APRO and apparently had been into a lot of things that rightfully, by, by the first part of 1980, began to sound very bizarre. But I think there's a... Substantial... Sorry to interrupt, but APRO is the Area Phenomenon Research Organization run by Jim and Coral Lorenzen, a long-time civilian investigative and research organization, now kind of quasi-defunct, the original but uh, I just wanted to define the terms there. Yeah, Apple, no, I appreciate you know, they were top-shelf investigators in the day. Unfortunately, by the way, Carl Lorenzen took a dislike to me when I was in my late teens. So for the rest of her life, uh, the very couple of rare occasions I met her at a UFO event, she continued to snarl over one thing that upset <laughs> her, which is because I published a photo in a little UFO magazine, and she felt she didn't get the proper degree of respect <laughs> it was all about that that's true but they did great work and jim lorenzen hey, was really a great guy <laughs> this arena is full of personalities i'll give him that right so anyway paul benowitz goes to apro so well yeah he had been communicating with apro and i believe he may have even been back since the interest in cattle mutilations but needless to say that i believe was his major point of contact my belief initially at the and during the beginning of all of this he was writing back and forth to apro because they were a very prominent group at the time in, in tucson but of course by this time he's already called the air force and then of course suddenly we have this wetzel letter being sent to apro which even bill moore has subsequently come out and said it was sent as bait and you think bait to do what to draw somebody from apro to come up to to poke around the Albuquerque area. But of course, then you have all of this overtones of, and my take on it now, and, and I'm not claiming to be the world's greatest analyst, but I did have a little bit of help in asking questions about uh, counterintelligence work. And I tried my best to look at the facts of what occurred, when things occurred. The Wetzel letter went out in July. Suddenly, Bill Moore gets it, but he did nothing with it. Then he's recruited in some other way. And this is when I came to decide, you know, some of this smells. It's not adding up correctly as, as totally independent individuals. Like you mentioned, you asked if Richard Doty might have been acting on his own. I don't think so. Now, if only because we know there were other people involved, and he has told me himself that his supervisors told him to contact Jerry Miller. But then there was a big meeting that went on in November with Brigadier General William Brookshire and uh, a couple of others, you know, and, and if you, oddly enough, uh, Robert Haynes had written me an email, and I, it reminded me that just coincidentally, William Brookshire in November of 1980, Richard Richard Haynes? Robert Hastings, Robert, Robert Hastings. Hastings, yeah, he just it, it, it. The point simply is it reminded me of an odd coincidence. I realized later that uh, that General Brookshire, who was sitting in on the meeting with Paul Benowitz five years to a month earlier, had been in charge of the Malmstrom missile base area right there, the 341st, I think, wing when uh, there were intrusions over Malmstrom. So even at that point... Ah, uh, the plot ends. Yeah. Now, whether that's a coincidence or not, as I, you know, as I said, I don't think there are any real coincidences. But, but needless to say, you had a lot of upper-level people involved in the meeting with, with Paul Benowitz. So there's no way to say Richard Doty was running this show himself. And the fact that, of course, he noted that, as, and has noted to me, that there were a lot of other Air Force I agents involved with him on this. One of the points I think I should I think is significant is we've never heard any of their names, any of the admission, bills, confession, anything else stops at Bill and Richard Doty. So if all of these other individuals were involved, why have they not been called to account? Especially as Greg as Greg Bishop indicated, some of these people went into Paul's house, and these were some major named 
Robert Fugit is one of them. We don't hear any of them saying a word about it. That lends ourselves to a question from uh, Sentry, who, again, uh, has been a Paracast Foreign Poster for about a year. And his question is, was Bill Moore a UFO spy or a BS artist? He points out that Bill Moore is a key player in the Benowitz story, but it seems his confession at the, I think it was the 89 MUFON conference, was something he has he was cornered into by allegations from Cause, uh, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, and Robert Hastings. Moore had been doing shady things, but mostly cloak and dagger shenanigans as a showman to manipulate interest in his products, videotapes, books, magazines, conferences. Rather than be exposed as a fraud, it looks to Sentry that Moore chose to claim to be a double agent, really working a pro-UFO agenda. This scheme doesn't seem to have worked as planned, and yet those condemning Moore seem to accept the bulk of the confession story. Moore later took shots at, at Hynek, Valet, James Harder, implicating them in the scheme against Paul Benowitz. Wow. Looking at all this, it seems to me that Moore was just an opportunist capitalizing on UFO anti-government paranoia. What do you have to say about that, about Bill Moore? Maybe we should ask Greg Bishop that question, too. He's pretty good friends with him. Fair, yeah, fair question. And, of course, you know what I would say is simply based upon my sense from what I have seen. And I'm certain Bill can tell his story. And at this particular point, though, it is known, of course, not only that Bill admitted to this, Richard Doty has admitted that he and Bill worked together. When I specifically asked Bill about how he could have recreated, so to speak, the, uh, the NASA telex, which he supposedly had changed NSA originally and changed it to say NASA. That's why I got that acronym, NASA telex, or NSA telex. You know, and he had told me on the telephone, he said, I said, how could you recall in such detail if you were only shown this thing but not allowed to make a copy? He said, it, it was based on the best recollection of me and Richard Doty, which of course told me that obviously Richard Doty had to have been right there whenever that thing was present for Bill to see it. Ah, yes, Richard Doty. It's thickerer. We have Chris Lambert. We have Ray Stanford. We have Gene Sorry. Steinberg. We have Chris O'Brien because you're in the Paracast. <laughs> America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
Did you know that how well your brain works is directly dependent upon how well your gut works? Did you know that an inflamed or compromised digestive system directly contributes to poor focus, depression, irritability, attention deficit, and hyperactivity? By eliminating the inflammation in your intestines and by having good bacteria populations, you may enjoy better brain function. The most important protein your body needs to keep inflammation down is glutathione. The number one food to support a dramatic increase in glutathione production is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. Virtually all whey proteins are damaged by heat, filtration, and chemicals, except one. One World Whey is the most life-giving whey protein on the market. It is changing the lives of its users in very positive ways. One World Whey may act as one of the most important health foods to support your and your child's optimal brain function. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. If you are a sales professional and you love to help people and make money, stop everything and listen to me now. InspectorAudit.com is hiring brokers nationwide. InspectorAudit.com is the primary source for exposing all loan-related bank and servicing fraud. If you're passionate, driven to succeed, and you want to earn real money, then we want you. Call InspectorAudit.com right now at 855-552-9932. InspectorAudit.com. 855-552-9932 Commissions paid daily We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carding to a private bank having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800 800- 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. What is the most abundant resource on Earth? Water. It's essential for sustaining life, but it's not always the most available. When disaster strikes, water quickly vanishes from store shelves, like it did during 9-11, Katrina, Japan, and in Joplin. Three days without water and your body begins to shut down. Don't risk being without an abundant supply of water when the next disaster hits. Get a FlowJack hand well pump. The affordable FlowJack drops right into almost any well and is easy to install without having to remove the existing pump, giving you immediate access to plenty of cool, clean water. You could risk your family's health on a limited supply of stored water, or you could be prepared with the reliable, affordable FlowJack backup hand pump kit for only $3.99 complete. See how it works at FlowJack.com, spelled F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Be sure to spell F-L-O-J-A-K.com or call 855-4-FLOJACK, 855-4-FLOJACK. That's 855-435-6525. Proudly made in America. FlowJack hand well pumps. Peace of mind in a box. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Chris Lambright, author of X Descending. Ray Stanford's here with Chris O'Brien and Gene Steinberg. And we're trying to figure out what the heck the government did to Paul Benowitz. So basically, they're doing all sorts of crazy things with him. And, you know, he never suspected that someone was really just playing tricks on him. Well, I think if you look at Greg Bishop's book, uh, Greg Bishop did some good work in this book. And he, he points out the fact, which, which, and I believe Paul had even mentioned something along these lines to me, that Paul began to have his own suspicions, not only about a house across the street, but potentially that things were not what they seemed. I know at one point he had a parting of the ways with Leo Sprinkle, 
over what he thought he was doing. But my suspicion, and in all the time I ever talked to Paul, he's clearly you know, an analytical mind, even though some of the things he may say were way out of the box as far as my experience. But I don't have any reason to believe that he didn't suspect eventually that things were not all kosher, that some of the friends that he thought he had weren't or maybe were not friends as such. And I'm convinced based on some of the things that I saw and that I found and that I heard and, and some of the things that Bishop outlined that, that Paul did have some suspicions that, you know, maybe you know, the house across the street, I think, or across the corner somewhere may have uh, been positioned in a way that the, the people that were going in there certainly weren't aliens. So at that particular time, I don't know that there's really a justifiable reason to think that Paul never had a clue. But then again, if you have if all your friends are in it together and not telling you what's going on, it becomes very difficult to know who to believe. And at some point, you maybe decide that you couldn't be fooled by everybody, or you're you know you're sharp enough not to be fooled by it. And like some of the con men tell you, that's the person they want to meet, the person who believes. Yeah, gee, you can't I, be I hate when that happens. I hate it. So I don't know. I mean, I think the evidence clearly shows, though, that there was a long effort, elaborate effort to mess him up to the point of getting people to write him off, to dismiss what he had. And that's why I told everyone the only reason I focused on the very original period when he got these films up to the point that he called the Air Force, when, when before they knew what he was doing and that he was up there, I think that's still relatively pristine evidence. And if you look at it, it clearly shows something that's not just little lights on film. And he got something that was, uh, and once again, he wasn't the only witness to this. Other people saw this. But once he called the Air Force and they knew what he was doing, uh, yeah, I have to say kind of all bets are off. Yeah, yeah, the carnival came to town. Let me ask you a question here. Wouldn't it have made sense, and we're certainly looking with hindsight here, to have simply gone to Paul Benowitz as a loyal American and said, you know what, we can't talk about this. That's it. You know, keep it quiet. This is for your country, for God and country, whatever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why I put that point in there about Chuck Clark and, uh, and the Area 51 thing. But, you know, and I've had other people tell me, the same naval person that uh, had talked to me who said, look, they prosecute spies, they prosecute leakers. Look at the WikiLeaks guy. You send them away for as long as you can, not only to make the point, but because it makes the point to everybody else. Why they would not have gone to Paul and said, Paul, see the signs on the fence here and look what you're doing. We can undermine all your contracts. We can do... But that in itself is an admission. That's letting someone know that you've got something that you know is worth keeping. And, and yeah, of course, it's just point. speculation. But my So therefore, be, because they don't want to confirm to him what's going on, they just screw him up. But didn't he get into basically a, a mental institution because of what happened? My understanding was that he had some kind of a breakdown or a, an emotional strain. Um, the last that and to this day, it is one of the hardest things for me to accept that the last time I had spoken to him was just shortly after Bill, excuse me, not Bill, after John Lear had gone to Paul's house. I was never told and never able to find out what the problem was, but Paul was livid about Lear for some reason. I think I spell this out the best I could in the book. After that, I mean, he was, he was just, I mean, going on. And I was like, Paul, I don't, you know, I had nothing to do with him going to us. I tried the best I could to assure Paul I had nothing to do with it. And there's a matter with the films that we can potentially, or at least the pictures Paul sent me that we can get into some other time um, that were given back to Lear. But needless to say, within a few days, Linda Howe called and said, have you talked to Paul? His phone number's been unlisted. 
And I checked, and sure enough, and I tried many times to get to him. I expected him to call me. I really honestly did. He'll call me in a few days and tell me, you know, what his new number was. And well, I have well, a Chris, feeling uh, that was when he had a – I have a feeling he may have had a breakdown of some sort after that, and that's why the family changed the number, but I don't know. Okay, well, well uh, Chris, that brings me to, uh, you know, a, a healthily skeptical question from Polterwurst, uh, one of our, you know, again, uh, posters here at the forum. And he asks, if Paul Benowitz really was caught up in some counterintelligence operation – why didn't similar things or why don't similar things happen to people like Stanton Friedman or maybe to you, Mr. Lambright and Mr. Stanford, or maybe even Gene and Chris, or are there events that might have had something to do with that? I know I'd be more than a little concerned if I were in a position of possibly interfering with government secrecy. Well, I will tell you, I doubt any of us are not good patriotic citizens. If Someone came to me and said, look, this is what's going on. And they could do it in a way that convinced me it was the truth. And this is why we need you to be quiet or whatnot. I don't, have any re- I don't have any reason to think Paul would not have had the same feelings we would all have had. What's the right thing to do? I mean, I am in no interest in, uh, you know, in outing government secrets. I mean, I'm not a, I just, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, I, I don't. But. If any of us took pictures, raised pictures, <laughs> I know what's in there. Chris O'Brien is, in, you know, people who see them know what's in there. But it doesn't put it in the Air Force's backyard. They they can shrug, they can throw up their hands, they can do what they want. Anything I might say, Stan Friedman's, you know, and of course I don't know everything Stan Friedman has, but he's always seemed credible enough. If someone come, if they if someone came out and claimed, like I said, if Paul had claimed, oh, it's all aliens, and I've got them all on film, and but they were not fil- if they were filmed at the Archelita Mesa, the Air Force might just go call Newfon. But if you had something that, and I've heard from other people that Paul may have had far more definitive things on that film than like the description I gave where he wrote about having seen what he thought was someone with a flashlight walking around underneath one of the objects when it was on the ground down there. Now, whatever he might have had on film, or for all I know, maybe during the daytime he went back and filmed the same area and got some other things showing where the, you see what I'm getting at. Maybe he had more than I'm even aware of. But for whatever reason, I think the fact that of what he had, the evidence of the vehicles that he got, and the fact of where he got them, that there was no way to deny what he had on film, and that Paul had enough credibility and reputation to be listened to by people who might take, you know, and at the same time, perhaps there was some honest concern that if it was known to the Russians that he had filmed them over a military installation that it might, I don't know, maybe there were some other kind of political considerations or military as to why they would not, why they would want to defuse Paul specifically. So I think there's a potential out there, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying that the people whose jobs it was, Colonel Edwards, Richard Doty, some of these, are necessarily bad people. I'm not sure what we would, any of us would do if we were in a position that that's our role and we have to play it out. Uh, you got a job description. You got to go with it. Well, what do you think about the whole idea of the counterintelligence operation, kind of trying to deflect Benowitz's interest in Monzano and Kirtland up to Dulce? And that brings us into a whole another another realm that probably deserves almost an entire Paracast show. But oh, no kidding. I wish Gabe Valdez was still alive for that one, um, or Tom Adams was around, but and Greg Bishop as well. Um, once again, it seems to me, from what I 
from looking at all of this and trying to put a, a piece, the pieces together, that the primary goal was to get his attention focused on some place that they had far better control that was looking 180 degrees from where they wanted you and me to be looking. If he's talking Dulce and all of that, everybody's focusing up there. And all they needed to do was potentially, you know, stroke him a little bit by putting him on some helicopter flights and salt and peppering some interesting looking things on the ground down below there. Yeah. And that's a whole show right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I seems to me, and I will make a point just so that everyone knows, and I don't want to bring up Roswell, but the analogy between that and this case is, for all I know, the whole point of getting people to look at Roswell is so we're not looking somewhere else. It's a misdirection kind of aspect. Yeah, oh, sure. Right. We have Chris Lambright, Ray Stanford with Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. For 50 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses 
uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. Spring is here. Growing season. The economy is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. Think about it. At this rate, how will your life be in a month or even a year? Maybe you've been putting things off, but the time to act is now. The country is running out of food. You need to get your seeds before it's too late. At OrganicaSeed.com, you'll find one of the largest online selections of heirloom seeds, survival seed packs, as well as the giant vegetable seed collections that can feed you and your family for years. Grow your very own fresh vegetables, wheatgrass, fruits, herbs, rice, tea, coffee, and tobacco with detailed growing guides available to you at no charge. You can maximize your harvest and investment. And the best part? All orders ship within 24 hours. So head over to OrganicaSeed.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-C-A Seed.com. OrganicaSeed.com today. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. We'd love to have you subscribe to our newsletter. You can get updated schedules for the shows, cutting-edge commentaries from me, from Chris, and special guest commentators such as Kurt Southerly. All this and more, the official Paracast newsletter. Go to newsletter.theparacast.com, newsletter.theparacast.com. It's free. Chris Lambright, author of X Descending, Ray Stanford. Of course, well-known for his research in many cases, including Sakaro, New Mexico. Chris O'Brien, well-known because he's a man about town who learned in the Orient the incredible power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. No, that's the wrong person. That was Lamont what? Chris. <laughs> I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Oh, my God. I just, I was on a riff, my friend. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I'll use the T word. Sometimes I can be like Chickstrish. That's right. You cloud men's minds so they cannot see you. I like to be able to do that. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> We're not talking about invisible UFOs. We're talking about how they really freaked out Paul Benowitz, how people like William Moore did that. What is William Moore doing these days? He's still around. What's happened to him? Well, you know, we should Greg ask Bishop, Greg about that one. Things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Greg Bishop would be the person to ask about that. You know, I do want to disqualify, and I'll make this very short, something Ray brought up there during the break, which is, there's no reason to, to, not to assume or to believe that once Paul got into what he was getting into, that they may have wanted to also see other effects. So, you know, they could have used him as a means of counterintelligence to see what he was doing, to watch what happened. I mean, we can't really say none of this is exclusionary. In other words, one thing doesn't necessarily exclude the other. So there may have been any number of reasons why they took the route that they did with Paul, at least years They, they could have identified Benowitz as a really acute observer, someone with observational acuity. And then when Edwards took him on that helicopter flight to Dulce for the first time, Benowitz had CIA-supplied film and a camera system sealed in a lead box that they were able to obtain object photos approaching the helicopter, I believe, on the first trip to Dulce. This all comes from Ron Regeer, you know, our aerospace engineer, and uh, he's still trying to get his photographs back from uh, Gabe Valdez's estate that were taken by Benowitz, sent to Ron, 
and he sent them to Gabe and has yet to get them back. I just wanted to kind of mention that. Well, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard anything like that. Now, but at the same time, I qualify, I'm not, that does not dismiss it. It's simply that once Paul called the Air Force and they knew what he was up to and the fix was in, so to speak, I would have to, you know, I personally would really hold at arm's length any real conviction over what, you know, what he might have or what might have been acquired, you know, after the fact, especially. But that was, the very fact that he acquired it, I think, is noteworthy. Well, how he uh, how he got it? I mean, you hear a lot of things that Bishop went into about uh, Bill Moore claiming that Heineck had handed Paul a, an Air Force supplied computer without telling him the Air Force supplied it. You know, so at that point, who knows what was on it or what Paul was getting from it? He he believed he was doing some good work with it, but at that stage, you know, how do you know? It's just a it's a sad, frustrating story to really know what to believe after after a point. It was great. I didn't know that. I totally forgot about that. Heineck gave Benowitz a com- an Air Force computer and didn't tell him that's where it was from? Are you, are you serious? Well, according to Bill Moore through, through Greg Bishop. Through Greg. I totally forgot about that. That's a, well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to believe of that or what to even think of that because it really says it casts aspersions upon Heineck and, and he's no longer here to say anything about it or defend it. So. I just have to say it's a Bill Moore. Uh, Greg Bishop says that Bill Moore told him this. I have never heard anything like it, but it was a rather shocking allegation, let's just say. Is there any reason to assume there was anything unsavory about what Dr. Heineck did during his years as being a positive influence in UFO research? You know, I don't know. We don't know what, uh, you know, what pressures were on him or what obligations. Well, well let's, let's, uh, hold on. Let's throw that in Ray's direction. Ray, when did you meet Alan Heineck and... and uh, I mean, I've seen letters. You show me letters, correspondence uh, that you've had with, you know, you had over the years with Heineck. Um, what do you think about that? You you met Heineck way back. Yeah, I had been in, uh, in correspondence with Heineck in connection with the July 28, 1959, double filming of uh, Mothership with Smaller Objects in Corpus Christi, Texas. Since you, sometime, I guess, in late '59, but I didn't physically meet him until uh, in Socorro. Until Socorro. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, and uh, you know, my experiences with him were were very positive and, and, and very good. The the, uh, you know, I mean, he he was always very friendly. He visited us, and he he seemed very open. Uh, I have my personal opinions uh, about. Uh, I, I believe that he was still working for the government after Project Blue Book closed down in some capacity, uh, and and in fact, people who were closer to him than I was uh, have uh, said as much. But. Uh, yeah, but uh, was he still not, working there really when we negative, had? Uh, yeah, but Ray, was he still working there when they had the Center for UFO Studies? Was he yeah. still working there when he was going out and lecturing as someone who had a positive viewpoint of UFO reality? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, I think so. And not only that, but there's, uh, for example, now he had his 1984 the the Kupos conference, the one that a lot of the UFO people were upset they weren't invited to. I was invited to speak there, but uh, the uh, at that conference, he had Dr. Jean-Pierre Petit of the French National Science Center, who was doing research on magnetohydrodynamic aerodynamics, present a paper about magnetohydrodynamic propulsion. And uh, uh, he, in fact, uh, went to the CIA with, with all of the papers that uh, with, with what uh, Petit was going to present and uh, sought to get a clearance, and he went to other agencies and... Uh, uh, I concluded this from some things I had learned, and I got a call from a Houston radio station, a well-known host there who uh, had gotten a Freedom Information Act uh, paper that showed that, in fact, Heineck was uh, uh, 
and I, I don't hold against him. He just wanted to make sure that there were not any things the intelligence community didn't want uh, released. Uh, but uh, whether the U.S. community wanted released here or not, uh, when Petit got back to uh, to France, he was uh, chief research French National Science Center. Uh, I won't try to say that in French. He um, he got in trouble because he released some information about uh, how to keep uh, magnetic iodine from exploding, that uh, and keep down chaos in magnetic flow that he was not supposed to release. And he told me he got into some trouble, but I, I don't think it had anything to do with Heineck's having him checked out here. Yeah, but, but the question I guess people would have here, the question we'd have, Ray, is whether the Air Force or the government in general would possibly have influenced what Dr. Heineck said about UFOs. I, I, have, I don't have any doubt that it that could have, but I do not believe the Air Force is against uh, people researching UFOs, and I, I, like to, I think they like to influence and keep track of it. Influence is an important yeah, word. Yeah, we, we, Ray, we're, we're all unpaid assets. Yeah. <laughs> yep, well, well said. <laughs> it's nice to be an asset. It's supposed to be something else. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, we're just about out of time. Let's have you, Chris Lambright, do a little bit of a plug for the book. Ah, well, excellent. Thank you. Um, it is available on Amazon.com for anyone with a Kindle. It's going to be on the iBookstore here shortly, as quick as I can get things set up with them. But it is available in either, of course, in the Kindle format or in a, as an EPUB format for uh, those with uh, Android tablets or other you know, EPUB-accessible tablets, or even PDF if you want. Um, because Is there the a hardcover version? Not yet. You'd be surprised in the publishing industry, especially when it in the last few years. But when it comes down to the color images, ooh, cost was somewhat prohibitive. I have plans. I have a printer. As soon as I can, I'll mm-hmm. have some print versions okay. out there. But the necessary uh, necess- excuse me necessity of the images being in color um, and the cost of color printing on a, just a normal normal independent process. But I, I wanted also to have them in as high resolution as I could. So now let me ask you a question quickly them. here. Is there a site we can go to to check out more of what you have to say? Yes, yes. Actually, to, towards this end, I'm actually starting. I've started my own little website in a small publishing kind of a firm called xdeskpublishing.com. Okay, we have a there. link, by the way, to the book at theparacast.com so we can see more of what you do. And I guess they can write you Great. from the site. Thanks. Yes, sir. Okay. Ray Stanford, you don't have a site yet. Yeah, but let's get a. If I can get him to publish on my side, I will have him one there soon. (laughs) Yeah, but we do have a thread at the Paracast forum, so you know, let's have some fun with it. You guys, thank you so much for being on. This is one of my favorite shows that I've done over the past two and a half years. Thank you so much, Chris. Your research is awesome, Ray. You the man, bro. You really are. Uh, Out of everybody in this field that I've ever read about or encountered and blessedly met. You are the man. And thank you so much for all your hard work. Yeah, he is to thank me. I've never, if I have ever sided with anybody and put my reputation on it, to raise the man. So I'm with you. And Gene, I appreciate you having me on, and I hope we can maybe get together again in the future. You sure will. We sure look forward to having you on again. Thanks also, Ray Stanford. You too, Chris. We'll talk again, okay? The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible, Incorporated. Tune in next week 
for a new adventure in the Paracast.